to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share their practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career and life satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we are breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch those Sunday blues. Welcome to No More Mondays. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of No More Mondays podcast. By now, I hope you know me. I am your host, Angie Callen. And if you've tuned in before, you know I love talking about career crossroads. And we are going to dig into it today in a really big way, because here's a reality check. We all face career crossroads, no matter how old we are, no matter how experienced we are, no matter how far up that corporate ladder we go, everybody comes to a career crossroads, even somebody who had a C title somewhere called Google. And that's where Eric Nierlich comes into the picture. From the burnout that came from leadership during Google's enormous growth to dropping out of a PhD program and multiple functional pivots in his career, Eric is the poster child for navigating these kinds of crossroads. And what is even better is he's channeling all of that experience into executive and leadership coaching. And he wrote a book called You Have a Choice Beyond Hard Work to Meaningful Impact. And you know how much I am a big fan of that idea that you have a choice in taking ownership of that. So we're going to get into some really meaningful stuff today. I'm happy that you're here, and I am very excited about this conversation. Let's not delay it anymore. Let's get him on air. Eric, welcome to No More Mondays. Thanks, Angie. I'm really excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I am too. And one of the things that has gotten me excited about this is I really appreciate and respect how uh, open you are about talking about the challenges that you've had in your career and the crossroads that you face, especially at such a high level of, of function and even visibility, right? And I think that's something that people who are more seasoned, experienced, and higher up in their careers can really, really struggle with. So I think it would be really great to kind of explain some of those to everybody and get into the story of your professional journey and how you've kind of gotten here. So kind of I would say, bring us up to speed and give us some of the backstory. Oh, that's a big question. I mean, the, the brief version of it is I started off as a physics student. I went on to grad school thinking that's what I wanted to do with my life, become a physics professor. I then realized that becoming a professor of physics required being a lot smarter, and a lot more dedicated than I was because I was busy playing volleyball instead of studying. Um, so eventually I dropped out of grad school, as you mentioned, Um <laughs> but it was okay because it was 1998. I knew how to program computers and this was the dot-com era. So people were like, yeah, you know how to program computers. Here's some money. Um, I did that for about 10 years, uh, programming computers at a bunch of different startups here in Silicon Valley. And uh, I guess the pivot point there was being at a company that went bankrupt despite having a really good engineering team. And that was really confusing to me. Like the engineering team is delivering everything it's supposed to. And we went bankrupt. There's something here I'm missing. 
turns out there's this whole really important thing about running a company called business and making money. And I wasn't really aware of that as an engineer. Cause I'm like, Oh, that doesn't matter. I'll just do my job and I'll be fine. <laughs> as, as, as somebody who also went to engineering school and then all of a sudden was whose eyes were open to the world of business. I kind of had that exact same reaction, right? It's like, Oh, there is more than just this like nitty gritty design and, and technology. And I was, I was a civil engineer. So it's, a little bit, a little bit different because you, you can see the real world application, but I had that exact same experience of like, Oh, there's business. Yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of uh, a pivot point for me in my career. I realized like, Oh yeah. Engineering isn't worth anything if you have terrible business managers and if you have terrible leadership. Uh, so I, I like to call that my origin story as an executive coach, like having a terrible CEO is like, Oh, this is, this is not good. I, I, I need to understand this business and leadership thing better. Um, so I actually went back for another degree at that point in technology management to learn more of this language of business, learn more of the language of leadership and management, and then joined Google, uh, as I actually joined Google on the finance side as a revenue forecaster and which was a weird pivot. Most people in my life are like, what are you doing? But one of my professors in my master's program said, if you want to understand how executives think you have to understand the money. And I was like, ooh, I don't understand the money at all. And then this job came across my uh, radar that was a revenue forecasting position. And they were looking for somebody with quantitative analysis skills, which I had because of my physics background. Somebody that understood software, which I did because I'd been an engineer. And so and I was like, boy, I bet you if I have to forecast and analyze the revenue, I'm going to understand the money. And Turns I'm a unicorn for this job because it wants these these two very interesting and unique. You know, at this time, those were two unique things that not a lot of people have. Probably a little bit more mainstream now. But like, we're kind of setting up this story of like, did the physics PhD track student ever expect to become an executive coach, public published author? Right? Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, it's it's kind of funny looking back at my career because there's just no way I could have predicted how it turned out. I just kept on pursuing things that looked interesting and and where I could learn something that was interesting to me and just pursuing learning and meant that I ended up in this position, these positions, which I could never have mapped my way there in advance, but ended up being really perfect for me once I got there. A couple of years into my time. So the other thing about joining Google was I joined in September of 2008, which, if you may remember, was when the world was sliding into the Great Recession, which meant the executives Google really cared about money for the first time there just wasn't money falling from the sky they had to think about revenue they had to think about profit and oh and here so, you are the mission critical guy to that whole operation absolutely so six months into my time at google i'm standing in front of eric schmidt and larry and sergey and the cfo and then they're asking so what's going to happen with revenue hey what's going to happen with the economy tell, tell us how much money we're going to make this fall i'm like what the hell is happening here no um, pressure Oh, yeah, exactly. I was like, ah. So, yeah, my, my professor was right. Executives really care about the money. Uh, and I got a lot of visibility. I got a lot of opportunity to you know, be in really important meetings and provide my perspective. But it was also a lot of pressure. I was working insane hours trying to figure out what was going on, trying to get up to speed, taking on as much as I could. And always, always, always there being more to do that I could handle. Like I remember in 2009, I think the first holiday that I didn't work a full day was Thanksgiving. <laughs> so it was just I was just going nonstop that whole year. And it wasn't that you didn't work. You just didn't work a full day. 
Yeah. Um, it's also, I also have to just tell you, it's really funny. You phrased something the exact same way I did because I, uh, I, I transferred from Boston to Colorado through an engineering company I worked for. And I literally tell people I started work in September. It was like September 8th of 08. And in the civil engineering world crashed with the great recession. Right. So I still have a really big like imprint in my head of where I was at that point in time and how it changed my career trajectory, just how this became a crossroads. It, it was like a crossroads in the making in a way, because it really pushed you into the forefront and in this mission critical role at Google that I'm sure helped at, helped uh, set some rungs up on the ladder. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely set up some rungs on the ladder. I mean, I'm standing in front of the top executives at Google. I'm working, meeting regularly with VPs of product and engineering and sales and talking about the business on a regular basis. Um, the tricky part for me uh, was that I didn't know how to say no. <laughs> and so whenever people, there was so much mission critical work happening, I wanted to grab it all. I felt this was a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity for me. And so I just took on more and more and more. And as probably real sister project cats know, there's a rest, there's an end that happens when you do that, which is called burnout. And that's where I ended up a few years later. So in my case, that manifested as after a few too many hundred hour weeks, I got to the end of the year, got to Christmas. I'm like, OK, I actually get a week off. I'm going to spend some time with my family, going to enjoy myself. And instead, my body is like, nope, you're done. And I woke up with a 103 degree fever. I was lying in bed for a week, basically unable to move because my body had just had nothing left. I was just completely wrecked. It was literally like running. You were running on empty. And the minute the minute you gave it space to go into a rest and recover <laughs> and, like, and then recovery mode, it did. Isn't it? I find it so interesting how there is a physical there are physical indicators of burnout. And many times we don't pay attention to them as they're creeping in and it takes something massive like, oh, I have a week off and I'm probably going to now end up sleeping mm -hmm. to kind of really create that wake up call. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know why the image is coming to mind for me is like the, the movie, the Blues Brothers. They're driving the car, they're driving, do all these crazy car chases and they finally stop and just the whole car collapses and it falls apart in one thing. And that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so, yeah, I ignored all these signs. I burned out and. The point that was interesting for me was that I was like, I'd been pushing that hard because I'd been up for promotion and they're like, got to take this on. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, I've got to do it all. I'm going to get promoted. This is like my chance, my chance to shine. And <clears throat> lying in bed there, I'm like, OK, so I don't have time and energy to spend with my family. I haven't seen my friends in a year. I've literally done nothing but work in like three years. All my friends are like, what happened to you? You're like a workaholic. I'm like, I'm not a workaholic. I'm like, they're like, yeah, but you work all the time. That's kind of what I'm like. Yeah, but I'm not addicted to work. Like, I just it's just this one job. It's going to it's going to pass. I'll get through it. Like, it's been three years. And I had and I thought to myself, like, what am I doing? What like what am I doing? And is this promotion worth it? Like, why am I sacrificing my whole life for this promotion? And for the first time in my life, a little voice crept to my head and said, like, maybe you could do something different. I was like, hmm, that, that feels wrong. It, and you have to understand that that's like an earth shattering concept to people who go through, like, I would say traditional upbringings and very like traditional 
uh, like technical educations, right? We are mm-hmm. taught to think a certain way. Uh, Google literally teaches you to to think a certain way. And, and even though they want to innovate, it's still like thinking about changing a life path and doing life differently than that very traditional uh, linear path is, is huge for people who have been conditioned the way, you know, a lot of us of our age and those types of educations end up being conditioned. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had to find myself as a high achiever since like, you know, kindergarten. I mean, maybe maybe I didn't define myself. Maybe my mom defined me. Well, we won't get into that because this is I not a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I think I came out with that sticker. But it's okay. We are like sometimes I say I play therapist on TV because there is a huge mental component to these things, right? And so yes. this is I would say this in the in the career crossroads and the multiples that you faced. This was the big one where now now the c word is going to come into place. Choice really mm-hmm. becomes obvious. Absolutely. My whole life, it's like. Do whatever the authority figure tells you. First parents, then teachers, then managers, then bosses. It's like whatever they tell you, you do it and you exceed expectations. If they say jump this high, you jump this high because that's how you earn everything. Respect, love, blogging, safety, all of it comes from performance. And yeah, this was the first time in my life I was like, well, what if I, you know, did it? do that. Like I had this rule in my head. I must do everything my manager says and do it above and beyond. I was like, but what if I didn't? I had never, ever considered that possibility before. So like, yeah, this idea, you have a choice. I I talk about this as my epiphany moment. Like, wait, I could, you know, not do that. Felt weird. And the key was realizing, yes, there would be consequences. Mm. In my case, I went in in January and I hit my first one one. I'm like, I am not working hard that that hard anymore. I cannot keep this pace. She's like, if you can't handle the work, I'm going to find somebody that can. Like, okay. (laughs) If you can't handle the work, that promotion is out the door. You, you you know, this is what it takes to be promoted. Like, uh, okay. And that's what happened. She took away half my team. She slashed my performance rating and all the consequences I had feared had come true. I had failed. And we like to believe so much that when we make like we we, we play out those scenarios, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. analytical people. You play out those scenarios and you go, OK, this is the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Unlikely to play out. But if if the worst case scenario plays out, can I accept it? And you're sitting here saying, look, facing it. Right. Oh, it, Absolutely. it, it played out. Yeah. It played out exactly as I feared. By worst case scenario, I had been dubbed as somebody that can't handle the work. And there's and it was weird because it was like that didn't feel terrible. It actually kind of felt good. I'm like, oh, wait, you mean I can now work 40 or 50 hours a week instead of 100 because they took away half my teeth? It's almost like you were liberated, right? (laughs) I was. Which is which is so funny to think because you would I like I would have expected the reaction to that to be what we all, all obviously thought it would be that the came out of the womb being marked high achiever now has been slashed down to half their worth and there's a freak out moment there but mm-hmm. I think because the maybe because the subconscious doors of I could do something different had already opened now there's almost a a, a catalyst or a, a clue that you're on the track, it was probably a relief, right? You had a little bit of liberation. 
Absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. There was a there was a freak out moment for a week. There was some freaking out happening for probably a couple of three weeks during that time. But (laughs) as I settled as I settled into it, I'm like, it did feel freeing and liberating. I was like, wait, you know, instead of working all the time, I'm going to go learn snowboarding this spring. Instead of, you know, working all the time, I'm going to go ride my bike and go spend time with my friends. And I was like, oh, this is this thing called life. Yeah. Turns out life is really fun. It really does. Or can be. It, 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 really can, it really can be if you're intentional about it and you make the choice mm-hmm. to prioritize and get these things to align. And sometimes it takes a big misalignment to wake up. And sometimes that wake up has to come as an external force of the we won't dog on her and call <laughs> her name's boss who decided to, you know, cut you down to size instead of seeing the value that she would get out of, you know, something else. Right. But that, sometimes that wake up call has to come from like the rug being pulled out from under you to realize yeah. you're in misalignment so that then you can make the choice to get in alignment. Yeah. And, you know, I don't actually want to criticize my manager. Like she was like, if you if you you're struggling and the way I can help you with your struggle is give it give you less work. So that's what she did. And, you know, it turned out that is what I needed. Obviously, at that point, I'd lost the trust of my manager and I was like, I need a new job. Um, actually, and fortunately, I uh, did get one more lucky moment, which was later that year, one of the VPs I'd been working with as, with the revenue stuff was looking for a chief of staff. And he was like, hey, I hear you might be looking for something new. And I said, yeah. He's like, what have you my chief of staff? I'm like, what the hell's a chief of staff? He's like, you know, I don't know, but I need somebody to help me run my business. You know, my business, come help me. So that's kind of how I got that job. So, you know, people come to me sometimes like, how do I become a chief of staff? I'm like, I don't think I have advice on that one. I'm not the right person. (laughs) Don't ask me. I did it, but I'm not quite sure how. But it is also nice that you got to leave on a higher note, right? So you got one more opportunity. And I'm curious when like when did the real decision to intentionally say it's time to walk away from from Google? Because in case y'all don't know, this is not a small stake situation to decide to leave, right? Mm-hmm. So when, like, really, when did when did you know it was it it was time? Yeah. So let me uh, quickly fast forward here. Yeah. So I became chief of staff in 2012, and I actually stuck with that role for over six years. Um, and part of the reason I did that is the VP I was working with was just an amazing leader, an amazing guy, conscientious, thoughtful, intentional and respectful. It was like, okay, I've had enough bad managers at this point that like, I know this is a good one. I'm not leaving it. Like, I'm just going to stay by, I'm going to stay by his side. And also Um, great, great exposure and and almost mentorship for you too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause he was running. So this was the running the search ads team at Google, which, uh, you know, I like to joke. It was a hundred billion dollar business when I was there, just a like minor, small little business. And I'm leading business strategy and operations for it. Um, so as part of that, I get to, I was in the room with all these amazing leaders at Google. I got to learn from them. I got to watch them. I got to work with them to make things happen. So it was kind of this getting to see leadership done right at a really large scale is a, was a really amazing experience for me. Um, but to your, to fast forward after a few years of that, I was like, okay, what am I, again, what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm really good at this. I've done it for a few years now. Is this the end point? Like what else? Like, is there anything else I want to do with my career, with my life? 
And I looked at some of the options within Google. Like I didn't want to be like a director or VP running a big team. That didn't appeal to me. Um, I realized like what I really liked are these one-on-one conversations helping figure out what to do next. And I used to joke that like as chief of staff, like my favorite part of the week was that one hour a week I spent with my VP figuring out like, okay, what the hell's happening? What are we going to do? How are we going to move forward from here? And all the other headcount, budget, strategy, operations stuff, I did all that so I could get that one hour a week. And now, as an executive coach, I just do the one hour a week. It's amazing. You do the one hour a week, like, <laughs> ten times, which is amazing. And that's so, – so did you just uh, – just really, like, practically speaking, did you go from Google straight into to coaching? Like, how did that transition happen? I'm curious how all of that – I mean, you definitely told us how it set you up to move into the type of coaching you do. I'm curious logistically – like how'd that transition look for you? So this was the first time I intentionally, thoughtfully planned out the transition. So in, like, let's see, let me, I'll play it out step by step because it might be helpful for people. Um, I four years in, I was complaining to a friend that my chief of staff job was not measuring me on the right things, not measuring me on the things that matter. And my friend asked me, "Okay, so what are the things that matter? What are the right things?" I'm like, oh, crap, I have no idea how to answer that question. So that led to a summer of reflection. And I got back to this point of like, I really love helping people. I really love one on one interaction. And my friend's like, uh, that's called coaching. Have you considered coaching? I'm like, wait, that's a job. You can and do you're that? like smacked you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and but even then I was like, OK, that's interesting possibility. How do I find out more? So I reached out to five professional coaches and said, hey, you seem to be doing this. Can I get 30 minutes with you and just learn more how I get started? Well, what should I know? What do you wish you'd known? And they all generously agreed to talk to me and gave me some tips and pointers. All five of them were like, you know, I you should really get trained and certified. Even if you're a natural at this, getting the framework and the formal training is going to help you. I was like, OK, if five out of five tell you to do something. It's probably good advice. So then I went and did a, a training program at an institute called New Ventures West, which was a year-long training and certification program. Came out of that, loved it. It was amazing. It was transformational for me. Came out of that even more excited about coaching. I'm like, okay, this is really what I want to do. And even then, still not ready to pull the trigger because it's like, even if I love it, even if I'm passionate about it, can I make money? Back to the business thing. Like, I know now I have to make money. It's not a business if I can't deliver enough value for somebody to pay me. That is a practical, I mean, and you can only be an entrepreneur if you can figure out how to monetize your idea. Otherwise you're just, you're just a creator. Exactly. So that was, I spent one more year starting a coaching business on the side and taking clients and proving that there were people that would pay me to have them, have me coach them. And so this ended up being like a three-year process from like, ooh, I've, coaching sounds interesting to actually pulling the trigger and leaving Google. Um, but after a year of coaching on the side, I had some clients. I had people referring me to other people. And I was like, it was time to go on my own and, and build my own business as a coach. So that was uh, summer of 2019. So I have to stop and just I'm going to thank you because I have asked people that question a lot on here. And you are the one who has actually answered it <laughs> is. And of course, it took it took a, a physics engineer business person to like walk me through the transition. And I love how you explained it, because there's a couple things I want to highlight for people out there. First of all, I want to reinforce the there was a lot 
to leave on the table in making this choice. And it wasn't done rashly. It was done very intentionally, which I think is very, very important. It also was not done overnight. And that's one of the things that I think we we are so impatient today because of all the instant gratification available to us that we aren't willing to go through a process in order to kind of make a change behind a choice. And and I, I love that component of it. And even some of the practical pieces you did to inform the decision and the idea that if you want to start a business, it does not have to be cut cold turkey and go into business. If you have the ability to manage it, it's something you can do on the side to prove the concept and build a little bit of traction before you completely take the leap. So yay, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you kind of walked us through that. And now I want to dig more into what you're doing in business. I want to do one more one more point here, because even okay. after all of that, I had traction. I had clients. I had the certification. I had all the pieces. It was still hard to leave because I'm at Google. It's where everybody else is trying to get to. I was getting paid no a lot of Google. money. Yeah, I was getting paid a lot of money. And I was in a prestigious and role. And there were some I'm stock in- options there. I had stock. I had a prestigious role. I had the trust of these leaders. I mean, my the VP I was supporting is now the general manager of all ads at Google. He runs like a 15,000 person organization. And like I was his chief of staff. I was like with him along the way, on the way to the top. And I could have just kept riding that train and been in a very influential, big scope role right now. And <clears throat> so it was really hard to walk away. I, I like that summer when I was like, ooh, am I ready to do this? It was... I was debating like this seems irresponsible. And the, uh, the 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 one of the other factors that I should mention here is I had also gotten married and we were having our first kid around that time. I'm like, I have to be a good provider. Like, how do I take this chance when I have a son depending on me? Um, fortunately, I had a good coach at the time and she was like, OK. Let's think about this. So you're going to stay in a job that you know is getting more and more burdensome on you, that's stressing you out, that's taking all your time. Is that the example you want to set for your son to stay mm. in a job they hate, you hate, just for the money? I was like, oh, oh that's me. She man. just punched you in the gut. She punched yeah. you in the gut and you needed it. I needed it. And that was such yeah. a clear answer, the revulsion I felt. And this gets back to that idea of you have a choice. Because in the capitalist world where my worth is measured by how much money I make and the prestigious job I have, there was this was not a choice. This was not a choice I could make. But when I reformed it and said, what is the life I want to live? Do I want to be around for my son? Do I want to be present for my son? That was a very different set of criteria. How do I want to measure my life? And it wasn't by just how much money I made. So that's. Another example of how I made an intentional choice to leave the money, the prestige, all of that behind to embrace the life that I wanted to live. Oh, there's so much good stuff there. So now we understand the have a choice title of the book. And I would also say now we've gotten a glimpse into that that subtitle concept of it's beyond hard work to meaningful impact because and this and this is where I get I. I get on a soapbox about this on this podcast, which is why I love that we're having an entire episode so I can be on the soapbox is that everything in life is a choice. And, and most of the time we choose not to make it right. And not making it is a choice. And, and I think that that has led to 
so much mediocrity and accepting of the mediocrity because we stay in the safe zone. We stay in the expected societal norm of, I can't leave a chief of staff role at Google. What am I going to tell people I do? And that tends to be the knee-jerk reaction everybody has to considering, what if I do something different? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, my mom was not supportive because she was very proud of having her son at Google. Like, look at my fancy son at Google. And she was like, what What are you doing? <laughs> so I'll tell you, hi, hi, mom and dad. I love you more than anything in the world. But I know my mom just just winced a little at that because <laughs> I, I imagine that conversation. I have a feeling we have parents of a similar age and a sa- same generation mm-hmm. who are, are not used to doing something different. So that's one big shakeup. And. I would say that generation, no, nothing against it, is very is is very accustomed to like appearances, right? Mm-hmm. I still remember exactly where I was the day I called my mom and said, "I'm I'm going to leave engineering," and mm. it, it it did not go well. You're, you have an engineering degree from Carnegie Mellon. What are you going to go do? And what are we going to tell people, right? And mm-hmm. it all worked out. And she is my number one fan. She's listened to every single one of these podcasts, which is why I know she's hearing me talk about her right now. <laughs> but it's exact, it's exactly that same thing of it. It bucks a trend, right? It bucks that societal norm. And it takes a lot to step out of that. However, that's where the meaningful impact lies. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's that uh, saying that if you do what everybody else does, you're going to get similar results. So yep. if you want to, if you don't like how your life is going, do something different. But if you keep repeating the same things, you're going to get the same level of results. So this is something that, you know, you mentioned, I, I mentioned I'm an executive coach now. And this is one of the critical things I always talk to my clients about. I'm like, okay, you don't like your current situation. That's why you're talking to me. Let's try an experiment. Let's try something that is different than your default unconscious automatic response and see what happens. Let's poke the system a little bit and see what happens. I'm not saying you have to change your life. I don't have to like have a huge transformative moment right now, but like one different action. Let's try that. If we start from there, then let's see where we go. Well, and it's in that one action, that one thing you can control, Mm -hmm. which is exactly where my mind was going, doesn't have to be changing the like code type and your backend architecture, right? It doesn't have to be <laughs> some fundamental systemic thing that keeps your own whole life running. It can be small things. So let's lean into that a little bit and talk more about this idea that the only thing you control control is your next action, right? Mm. That it like, you know, it, it, and I think that's like that present, right? <clears throat> we focus so, we have anxiety for the past, anxiety for the future. But if you just sit here and say, the only thing I can do is, the only thing I control is what I do next. How do we how do we embrace that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, this was such a critical idea for me. I mean, it's not new to me. Let me be clear. There's thousands of years of spiritual tradition that talk about being present and mindfulness. Um, But how do we embrace it? It's, It's taking responsibility for that thing that we control, which is our next action. When we push that responsibility onto others, which like, well, no, my manager made me do that. It's like, well, you still said yes. To what the manager, my manager made me work all weekends. Like, did they? Or did you agree to take on that work? Well, if I said no, then they'd get mad at me. Oh, so there was a choice. And you, you didn't just didn't do- like the consequences. You didn't like the consequences. That's fine, but own <laughs> the choice. And, you know, I, I tell people, like, every day you show up to work, that's a choice. Like, you can just not show up to work and say, I quit. 
Yes, there's consequences. Yes, you have financial commitments. Yes, you may have a mortgage you have to pay. Those are also choices. And like I, I speak about the past, like in the book, I have a whole section about like past you made choices and you are constrained by those choices today. But you don't have to let your life be ruled by past you. Like you can make new choices. And, you know, <clears throat> the example I give is the, the physics thing. Like in middle school, I decided I was going to be a physicist. Like no matter what, that's what I was going to be. I was going to be a physics professor. I read Shirley or Joking Mr. Feynman. And like, I'm like, I'm going to be Richard Feynman when I grow up. Um, and I was like, says, I stuck to says, it. No middle school child ever, but we'll uh, just move on. <laughs> I was a big nerd. Um, and he had a great life. Like he was like doing samba dancing in Brazil and like partying in Japan. And like, it's like, that's looks, this sounds fun. I want to do that. Turns out he could only do that because he was a super genius and I, you know, wasn't. Um, but anyway, but like, even as undergrad, I struggled with my physics classes, but I'm like, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to push through. I'm going to make it happen. I want to keep going. I'm getting, gotten into the grad school, went into the PhD program. Like, Two months into grad school, it was clear I didn't belong there. Like, I did not know what, to, but I didn't know what else to do. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to make it work. I'm just going to push harder and make find a way to struggle through this and make it happen. And so, like, three years into grad school, I finally had an out when my friend offered me a job. But it's like, there were seven years of my life that were constrained because middle school Eric decided I was going to be a physicist. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, in retrospect, yeah, like, what I don't the know, hell? I don't know that I, I do not know that I want my 12-year-old my self to drive life's decisions. But I, I'm sitting here. I wish you all could see us because this is a very, like, lively conversation as far as, like, interact, like, the the the, the physical interactions and everything like that. But Eric has said, like, s several different things. And I'm like, we have parallel lives. You're just the, t the probably the tall male version of my <laughs> very short, short female self. Because... Literally, as a freshman engineering student, I am like, how am I going to pass this physics class? And why did I not wake up at that point in time and say, maybe I should do something different? <laughs> I mean, it's even worse in my case, because I was literally taking the intro to computer science class as a freshman, and I was acing it without, ever, without even trying. It was like so easy for me. And I was barely passing my physics class, like struggling to get a C. And my freshman advisor was like, so you're majoring in computer science, right? I'm like, no, I'm a physicist. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, no, no, I'm like, I'm a physicist. He's like, I don't think you understand what you're saying here. He's like, I'm like, no, I'm going to be a physicist. And he was so worried. He actually sent a letter to my mom and dad, like, you should talk to your son and talk him out of this, talk him out of this dream because he is not understanding the consequences of his action. And I still have this memory of a couple of years later, I was taking the hardest uh, physics class. It was a class called junior lab. And he walks in and he looks at me. He's like, this guy's still in the physics program. What the hell? I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. Sorry. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> Well-deserved. Well-deserved. But so like, literally they're like, this is like, it's like, it's like hitting you in the face and you're just like, nope, nope. My 11 year old self told me I'm doing this. I'm riding. I'm just going to keep, keep at it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, I feel like this comes in, it brings in another part of the, of, of the book so perfectly of like, we are usually the problem, right? We are usually in our own way. And, yes. and like, how hilarious is it that in this circumstance, your, your middle school self is who's in the way, but in, in a bigger sense and, and in the, in the, in when every part of what's in the way is present, like, how do we, how do we get out of our way? It's a good question. How do we get out of our own way? Because it's so automatic. It's so unconscious. And it was like so automatic for me. Like, no, of course I'm a physicist. Part of it is 
I mean, trusted advisors really help. You know, this is what you and I do as coaches, but that's what friends are for. But we actually have to listen when they say, hey, you should really look at this. Like my friends are like, hey, it seems like you're a workaholic and working all the time. I'm like, no, no, but I have to. It's, it's fine. And like, mm, why didn't I listen? Yeah. Don't be in de- don't be in denial might be a third point there. If, you, if you're going to listen, make sure you hear and then admit to yourself where you're at. Absolutely. But that's the, the thing is, it, it's so being in denial is is so easy because it's like if I open up that choice, I have to open up all these other things that are caught downstream consequences of like like, you know, the physics one just to go back to it. Like if I had to admit it, like I'm not ready to be a physicist, like, well, then what else am I going to do with my life? What's my path? Oh, those are all really scary things I don't want to have an answer for. So I'm just going to close that box up, put it away, hide it under the desk and never look at it again. I find that to be a really common challenge with, um, okay, what if I do something different, but I don't know what different is. So I'm just not going to even think about doing something different. Right. So the absence of an alternative creates Mm -hmm. an action. Yes. Yes. So this is gets back to the idea of experiment. So when I was just starting to explore coaching, that friend of mine that was like, so what is the way you want to be measured? She was looking to change careers also. And we committed to weekly accountability calls. Like we are going to call each other each week. And we're going to say, what is one thing I did in the last week to explore a new option? So to your point, like, what are the options? So we were like, we looked at grad programs. We looked at like different jobs and companies that were interesting and just knowing I was going to be asked, like, what is one, one thing you did in the last week to explore the new path? And six months of these calls later, she had an internship at her dream company, and I was enrolled in a coaching program. It's like, it doesn't take that long if you just commit to doing one thing a week. One thing at a time. And also, and I would say, and pair that with accountability, and that's a magic equation right there, right? Because you've got, A, a sounding board in that accountability relationship, but... a a level of commitment that oftentimes we can't keep ourselves to, even if we are high achievers from day zero. Yes. Cause it's so easy to get caught in our own maps and mazes of our own mind and just having somebody to the outside. So like, uh, what, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, we, you can, we can really get like analysis paralysis, especially if you just tend to be an analytical person anyway, And I think Mm -hmm. that can tend to tend to overcomplicate things that when unwound become very simple. And that's that's where getting out of like your little echo chamber. Sometimes I'll joke and say, get somebody in there with you (laughs) can can make a big difference to this idea of getting out of your own way is maybe to bring others into it. And then there's that idea that like navigating, navigating what you what you find in that exploration means you have to be willing to embrace the change that comes from making choice. Yes. And letting go of certain certain things that were part of your identity, part of your value, part of who you were before. That's, I think, the hardest part about change. People, people are like, oh, I want to change. It's like, yeah, but do you understand what you have to let go of to get the change you want? They're like, when they start to look at that, they're like, ooh, I don't, I, I want to keep everything the same and get the new thing. It's like, mm, that's not how it works. That's, that's that whole cake eat thing that we've heard our whole entire lives. But if you want, if you want, change something will have to change and that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice uh, everything you know in your existence however that is the very nature of doing something different right is you want change therefore something should have to change some of them are intentional and some of them are consequences or byproducts of the bigger decision and it, it and if they're if they're ones that are hard to hard to swallow if they may not be forever 
but you're never you're never going to get anywhere if you stay in the comfort zone. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the times what we really want is we want the result of the change, but we don't want to do the work for the change. Like I used to joke, uh-huh. I wanted to have run a marathon. I like I wanted to be able to check the box. But I did want to actually train for the marathon. <laughs> It was like, well, that's, that's going to be really hard. Should I should I tell that story about how I registered to run a half marathon, paid for it and anything, and got into the training and ran five miles and was like, I never need to run further than this and didn't do it. So I wanted to have run a half marathon. I did not want to do the work. And that's that goes back to something we talked about super early in this conversation about like seeking instant gratification and not being willing or even worse, being closed to the process and the patience that sometimes has to come in to realizing the what is different. Like you Hmm. were at, you spent six more years at Google from Mm -hmm. the point you ever said, maybe I should do something different until it actually played out. And that included three years of building this thing on the side, right? And so if you're able to apply some patience to this idea of making choices and being okay with changes that come, that all is a really great ecosystem to realize something very meaningful and impactful. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, like, you don't even have to be that patient. Like, if you just start taking steps, you can make a lot more progress than you think. Like, mm-hmm. I told you, like, six months of accountability calls. I went from, like, I have no idea what I want to do next for my life. Like, I have a direction. I'm in training. I, I can see where it goes from here. It was not that long. But it's like, people say, like, how do I... Of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, how do I get to the top of that mountain? You don't just jump to the straight of the top of the mountain. You take one step and then another and then another. But the really important thing here, and if I'm going to leave with any message, it's like take one step, one one experiment, do one thing in the direction that looks a direction that looks promising. Yes, you don't know if it's the right thing. Yes, it might not be perfect, but try one thing that changes things up. And that's going to unlock so many more possibilities for you. That looks a whole lot like your biggest pearl of wisdom. So you better start thinking because I'm going to make you give me another gold nugget for our last question in a minute. (laughs) Because this is is so fundamental, what we're talking about, yet we make it so, so, so hard. And I, what I love so much about this is one, sharing it with somebody who has so many, so many similar perspectives and either some, even some similar like uh, career crossroads um, and the engineering brain that apply, that applies to some of it. But It's so, so, so fundamental. And it's this is where people like Eric and I can come in and help you get out of your own way if you feel really, really caught up or you feel compelled to want to do something different, but just can't get yourself to be okay with the change or can't get yourself to take that one small step forward. These are these are things that help you lean in to a more satisfying, more aligned life and career. And it's, and, and, and I think what Eric and I both share is, is really the, I feel like it's a conviction to help you out there do this kinds of thing, right? I am a huge, I want to write a book called the mediocrity trap. I hope nobody else has Eric. Don't steal it. Maybe we'll write it together. Right. But this is the kind of stuff that gets you out of it and living now, instead of waiting for retirement to have some fun. Yes. Yeah. And I want to be, I want to say one more thing, which is it like it's it's hard to do this work alone. It's hard to see your own habits. Like I can't tell you the number of times I'll be talking to my coach or my therapist, and they'll be like, "Have you noticed this about yourself?" I'm like, I have literally asked that exact question, this exact observation about three clients this week alone. How did I not see I'm doing the same thing? 
They're like, eh, it just happens. Like that's that's why therapists have therapists, why coaches have coaches. Yeah. It's like it's really hard to see yourself. Yeah, we all have blind spots. The work too close to the forest or the trees, whatever saying you want to apply to it. It's sometimes somebody needs to hold them up a mirror for you, and it's and that's okay. <clears throat> it's okay mm-hmm. to realize things about yourself you don't love. It's the only way we can improve them. And mm-hmm. sometimes we just have to work around them. So I I completely completely agree. I love it. I could preach on this all day long, <laughs> Eric. Me too. Obviously, I feel like you and I, you and I, like we're gonna like share a ticket and we're gonna go like on the on the road with this one. Um, nice. But this is this is like, and I don't know that I've ever had a conversation or met somebody who I feel titled a book more appropriately. So, uh, like seriously, this is it's like it's so 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 perfect. So I want you to tell everybody uh, where they can find it because I know it's about to hit shelves. Uh, where we find you and where we fo- follow along and all this great stuff you have to put out there. Yeah. So the uh, book is called You Have a Choice Beyond Hard Work to Meaningful Impact. It'll be available on Amazon probably by the time this podcast releases. Um, you can learn more about the book at too many trees.com slash book. Too many trees.com is my site. Um, which I'm glad you mentioned the forest for the trees because that is the idea. I figured you knew that, but that's the idea. It's like sometimes we're stuck in the trees. I actually meant to bring that up that I love what you called your business because it is exactly that. It is helping it is helping cut down some trees to see a clearer path for everybody out there. And navigate your way through the forest. And it's like sometimes we just need somebody else to help us get out of the f- trees. I'm looking at it from above like, oh, wait, when I see it from this angle, it's clear what I have to do. It's hard to do that for yourself. And that's what I try to do for my clients. I love it. Okay. So too many trees.com is your coaching site. Book will be on Amazon. We're going to link all of this in show notes. Yep. Uh, Eric and I are also connected on LinkedIn. So join his network there. Uh, Cause you know, people like us like to fill up your news feeds on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, we do. And then I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you because I love the last piece of advice in the Pearl of wisdom you, you gave around do one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to make you give us another. So I'm going to say, what is your second number one piece of advice on what everybody out there can do to uh, get one step closer to a more satisfying life and career? I guess the second piece would be you can't do it all. And high achievers hate hearing that. Like, I'm going to be great at my job and a great parent and a great partner. And I'm going to go do triathlons and I'm going to do this. because I see people doing all these things and I can do any individual one of them, as well as that other person. But, I gasped when you said that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, when you look at it, there's a limited amount of time and energy you have available each week. And if you're going to try to do everything a little bit, you're going to do everything kind of mediocrity-wise. I mean, you mentioned the mediocrity. That's the trap of mediocrity. I would do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. You do nothing well. Focus is critical. I am going to make this the most important thing. I'm going to put my attention there, put my energy there, I'm going to put my time there. And that means saying no and letting go to other things that are valuable, that I'm good at, but I can't do them all. There's this quote by Steve Jobs, something like, people think focus means saying yes to the thing that you want, that is, that you want to focus on. But it's not what it means. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that you have. So that's the thing I'll leave you with. You can't do it all. Say no to the good stuff so you can do the one thing that you are uniquely great at, the thing that you are fantastic at, because that's how you really have impact. Uh, I now immediately want to have a second episode where we discuss saying no 
So just put that on your radar. But for now, oh my gosh, this is, there was so much here. So, 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 so much here. So much more even than I had hoped knowing what we were going to talk about and getting to know you. So I love that you were one willing to be vulnerable about such a big career crossroads, right? Big stakes, career crossroads, big, you know, big changes, making big changes at a time. There were a lot of life potential consequences, but working through it and finding a way to make it happen anyway, right? If, if there's if there's one thing I hope everybody takes out of you and your experience, it's that. But then I also hope all of you tune in and get the book because it is, I've, I may have gotten a preview and it is, it is worth the glimpse that you have gotten here, right? Because this is the kind of stuff that can give you a better life and career. And you know, that's what we're all about here at No More Mondays. So Eric, thank you so much for being here. I feel excited and I feel energized after this conversation, which is an amazing way to feel after recording a podcast. So I won today too. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for Angie. I really enjoyed our conversation, discovering all these kind of parallels and, and, you know, intersections in our lives and our philosophies. It's really pleasant to find a fellow traveler in that way. So really appreciate the conversation. Ooh, that's a good way to put it. Fellow traveler. And uh, maybe we'll journey together some more. I, I uh, you know, we've got lots to do together. And until the next time, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this jam-packed episode of No More Mondays. I hope you will head over to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave this episode a five-star rating because it deserves it. And follow us because it's a huge help as we continue to bring you these really inspiring, impactful stories. If you want to grab the links to Eric's book, his website, or any of the show notes, head on over to nomoremondays.info. You can always leave us feedback or drop a guest suggestion there as well. And until next week, when I when you hear me on the airwaves again, I will see you for the next episode of No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your life and career. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info to get all the details, show notes, and recommendation from this episode. No More Mondays. We drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders, Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit us online at careerbenders.com. 